from the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia to around the globe. You're listening to Shark Bite Biz, your exclusive place for business strategy, sales, marketing, and tech in the roaring 20s. And now, here's your host, David Strausser. Welcome to the newest episode of Shark Bite Biz. I'm your glamorous host, David Strausser. This is your place to learn how to grow a business during global chaos in such a weird world. One where employees quit left and right. We are in the great resignation, as they call it. Company culture is a top priority. First, though, remember, if you're watching us on YouTube, you can join the channel. Become a baby shark for only $3 a month. But if giving money through big tech isn't your thing, you can also go to our coffee brand, DeadHouseCoffee.com. Use the code SHARK. You get 20% off of your order, and all the proceeds directly support us producing the biggest and best show we can. Also, don't forget to download our Android app. You can get it right in the Play Store, Shark Bite Biz. Really easy to find. Full shows there, audio and video, plus some, you know, member chats and stuff like that. Or you can find us on the iTunes podcast, okay? Make sure you subscribe to this show because we're going to chat with a two-time entrepreneur. Another one of those entrepreneurs that went out, you know, kind of retired, got out of his business and again, out of happenstance, started up an entirely new business. And it's pretty crazy because his new business is amazingly successful. Not only does he have a wonderful backstory talking about where he is now, but we're going to discuss a very important topic right now in this day and age and how corporate culture can make or break your business. So, who is today's guest? David Friedman. David Friedman is an award-winning CEO, entrepreneur, author, and renowned public speaker. In 2011, he published his first book, Fundamentally Different, which is based on the insights he learned and taught throughout his leadership career. In 2021, he published the second edition of the book, Culture by Design, which I actually have right here the definitive how-to manual for building a high-performance culture, even in the new remote work environment. His current company, High Performing Culture, has helped hundreds of companies throughout North America to implement his culture operating system, CultureWise. Don't forget, his book, Culture by Design, I highly recommend it. Listen to the interview. If you love what you hear, go out, grab this book. I'm going to shut up. Let's bring David on in here. Business strategy. David, welcome to Shark Bite Biz. You, my friend, you just became shark bait. I'm all for it. Great to be with you, David. <laughs> yeah, today's going to be the, uh, the competition of the Davids. So <laughs> we'll see which David's the better talking head today. <laughs> but uh, so we have a tradition on this show. Very first question. And so same thing for every single person, it, because we think the, the personal path, the, the career transformation or personal transformation people have had to get where they're at today is always an important story. So I like kicking off the show with this one question, which is a complicated question. It's a loaded question. What's your experience? What's your background? What do you do? How'd you get where you're at? Basically, tell us what makes David, David. There you go. I'll tell you that story, David. So I Thank started out in the Philadelphia area, as are you, and I spent 27 years building, if you're wondering, I started when I was three, but I spent 27 <laughs> years building, of all things, an employee benefits consulting company. And I grew that company from two people to a little over 100 people. And we were a very successful company. We were seven or eight times named one of the best places to work in this region and five or six times one of the fastest growing companies. So it was a very, very successful company. But I would tell you that all of the success, everything that made us successful was the culture that we had built in that company. 
And as the CEO of the company, I did a lot of things in a very intentional way to make that happen. And I should say, before I go further, that you know, you're talking about personal transformation. <laughs> One of the things that I learned early in my career was that I had no interest in insurance, which was my business. What I was interested in was leadership, organizational mm -hmm. behavior. How do you get a group of people to come together and perform in really extraordinary ways? I just find that really interesting. So I spent a lot more of my time thinking about that than I did thinking about insurance. I never thought I'd spend my whole career in the insurance industry. So flash back a little bit, I had the opportunity to sell the company after that 27 years. Uh, and it was a perfect opportunity for me because I never, once again, expected or wanted to spend my whole career in insurance. I had accomplished right. what was interesting for me to accomplish. So we sold the company. And how, how long ago did you sell the company? Uh, about 10 years ago, a little over 10 okay. years. Okay, just so that we have some timelines yeah. as far as when you sold it to the, you know, how you evolved to where you're at. Yes. I think that's good. Yep. Yeah, a little over 10 years ago. So I sold that company, retired from that industry. I wasn't sure what I was going to do next. I was too young to be retired. I wasn't going to sit around and eat bonbons for the rest of my life. Yeah, so yeah. I and I was just telling you, like, you can only travel the world so many times. Exactly. You know, you can only yeah. drink so many tequila shots off somebody else's belly button. So yeah. it, it's like eventually you've got to, uh, yeah. you know, the calling comes. Well, and, and I knew at the time, David, that, that I would do something else. It, it's not my nature to become mm -hmm. a slovenly bum. Um, that I knew I would find something else. And I was totally relaxed about, you know what, it'll show up when it shows up. I'm not worried about that, that I will find something that that gets me intellectually engaged. I think and, something that I'm hearing, though, too, from what you're saying, sorry yeah, to interrupt, is that, that it, it you did something that I think most people dream about, not only just selling the business and being able to be retired if they wanted to, but you were able to take that break in between kind of careers and find what you wanted to do. You were able to do it on your own terms. I was. And I, and I, I think that's important. It is. And I was fortunate to be able to do that. And it was interesting, you know, to that point, you know, I, I've always been a very planned, um, driven kind of person. And it was actually surprisingly easy for me, and maybe it was because I, I didn't have any economic pressure. It might have been very different if I was under significant economic pressure, but not being under any economic pressure, it was surprisingly easy for me to just chill out and relax and trust that the world would show me where I should go next. And I wasn't in a hurry. I, again, I, I wasn't worried that, gee, if I get used to this, I'm going to become a slob. That's um, just not who I am. So I knew that mm -hmm. sooner or later, I would figure out what was next. And what, what happened which was a little, at some level, almost accidental, but one might look at it as more planned, is I knew- Happenstance. That, that's, uh, we've had so many people on here that, I mean, it, it, the origin story, as I call it, I always find yeah. them fascinating yeah. because there's some people that are like, nope, I knew exactly what I wanted. There's other people that's like, well, you know, I just accidentally found myself doing this. And uh, next thing you know, like I'm a multimillionaire laying on a beach. And, uh, yeah, I mean, and I, would, I would say I was closer to the second, not exactly that, but closer <laughs> to that, where I didn't know what would come next, but I wasn't worried about it. But what happened was, I always knew that I would write a book about the things that we had done that made us so successful in my first company. And so in 2011, I sat down, I wrote this book called Fundamentally Different. And it was about the things that I had done and, and, and had made us successful in that first career. It was kind of the signature of my career. And I wrote that book. I always tell people, honestly, I wrote that book as a closure step, as a way of wrapping mm -hmm. up that career. I can now put it behind me. And now I've got a clean break. I can do something else. And what ended up happening is people got a lot of value from the book. And as people yeah. read the book, I got started to get these opportunities where CEO groups and other leadership groups would ask me to come and speak to their groups about what I had written about. And as mm -hmm. I started to do some of that, some people who heard me said, that's really interesting. Could I hire you to help me do what you just wrote about? <laughs> and I thought, well, shoot, I'm retired. I don't know what I would do with this guy, but I'll figure something out. And I did. And so here I am, you know, seven, eight, nine years later, I've written three books on this topic. I have worked, I, I've done more than 500 workshops for CEO groups on this material. 
I have built another company called High Performing Culture that teaches people the things that I learned and created. And the methodology that I created and have done in my first company I've written about, that methodology, which is all around how to build a high-performing culture, we've mm-hmm. implemented, my company has implemented that methodology in more than 400 different companies. And there are hundreds and hundreds wow. more who've heard me speak or read my book and at some level implemented the methodology on their own. And so yeah, it's yeah. really taken off. No, that's that's awesome. And congratulations on all your, I guess you could say, refound success with the new and business. And I'm just warming up. We're just at the start. Yeah. We're, we're going to make this much that's, bigger. That's that's totally awesome. And so I, I guess what I'd want to do is we're, we're saying culture, culture, culture yes. a lot. Um, I, I think a lot of people, they have a general understanding what culture is. But Maybe it'd be good for an expert on culture like you to actually really define what is an organizational culture, a company culture. How would you define that? Oh, I don't know. I have no idea. No, I'm only <laughs> kidding. <laughs> so good question. Yeah, and, and you're right. People do have so many different ideas. Sometimes when they think of the word culture, they're pick, they're picturing. You know, we get pizza every Friday and we have a ping pong table in the reception area. I'm not talking about that. So the culture in an organization to me, David, is the set of behaviors that are the norms for how how people operate in this environment. So think about you go into, and this is true whether it's a company or it's a sports team or it's a group of friends, that when people get together, a set of norms evolves around Mm -hmm. how we do things here. And that's really what the culture is. And right. the reason that this is important is that, that that set of norms, that environment, that way that we do things around here influences every single thing that happens. That you could take people, if we talk about a work setting, you could take people, take the exact same people with whatever their skills or talent or ability or experiences. Mm-hmm. If you take those people and you put them in a high-performing environment where there's an expectation of that, they will raise their level of play to match what they see around them. And if you take those yeah. same exact people, exact people, move them to a low-performing environment where nobody gives an arm, those yeah. people will perform at a lower level because the environment that we're in, those expectations that somehow get absorbed, that environment has an enormous influence over what people do and how they do it. And, and my, my contention and certainly experience is, if we understand that, and that's not rocket science. I mean, this is not mm-hmm. like some complicated concept. We've all, if anybody, any of your audience members who've ever been on a high-performing team, maybe it was a sports team, it could have been a band, an orchestra, they know that it just caused you to raise your level of play. And so when we mm-hmm. understand that, what that suggests to me is that if I'm a leader of a company, if I had a way that I could purposely create the kind of environment that would cause my people to perform at a higher level, that would be a pretty, pretty freaking obvious thing to do. Yeah. And yes. You know, what you were saying there about having the people around you and you being on a good team, that it raises their play. So I think this is a perfect story example of that. When I went into independent consulting, kind of forced to because of how the economy was, Back in 2000, what, 2008, 2009-ish in that time. Uh, Maybe it was 2010, I forget. But anyways, it was a Sprint dealer that had a multiple amount of stores. And they're like, hey, yeah, traffic kind of stinks at a lot of these locations, but we still got traffic. Thing is, we're not really selling at all. We need someone to come in, teach us how to sell. What are we doing wrong? Stuff like that. And I went into their worst performing location. This is a store that only ever sold maybe 40, it was like 40 or 45 brand new phone activations a month. And my very first full month, you know, after I got in and studied things for about two weeks. So the, for the, the first full month I was in there, I mean, I was well over 150 brand new activations myself. Okay. The lowest person on this actual sales team in that store was still at like 45-ish, 
50-ish themselves, which is more than the store's ever done in a whole month. That was the lowest performing person because, you know, they just didn't know. And they were, this is also, I think, when the cell phone industry was really starting to transform from somebody that needed an engineering degree to figure everything out to sell it to high school-ish type person or young adult. And mm. they just didn't really have any formal sales training. You know, well, when you come in, qualify the customer, are they looking, you know, is, is the cell phone, the tech more important to them or is it the plan and monthly costs? And, you know, build a simple, very simple you know, sales process through that. And once I did it, not only just yelling at them and telling them what to do, but I led by example and I showed them how easy it was because I went out and for a whole month dedicated myself, did it, and I helped them close their deals. And once they saw that, I mean, it totally transformed that store. And then we rolled that out to the other stores. And I mean, I only had three months to be able to go in there, do my job, but I mean, I know I followed up for like a couple months after. I mean, they weren't ever, I think, as high as when I was in there physically doing it for that month, but they still doubled to two and a half times their numbers because yeah. now it kind of installed the the culture, the competitiveness, and mm -hmm. all that stuff that they were missing. Yeah. So that that's a perfect example, I yeah. think, of what you were talking about. Yeah, and again, anybody who's ever been in a any high-level program, if you were on a championship baseball team, there yeah. was just a level of expectation on the team that we play like champions here. We do things in a certain way and it just causes people to change what they do. And so again, my experience is that if we had a way that we could create that kind of environment that would tend to elevate people's performance, that would be a pretty smart thing to do. And yet as obvious as that sounds, my observation is very few leaders do that. Very few leaders think about it. Very few leaders know how to do it. They think mm -hmm. of culture as this kind of like pixie dust that I magically sprinkle pixie dust on my people and somehow, you know, it all works out as if it's this loose, amorphous, nebulous kind of mysterious thing. And my point of view, no, it's not that mysterious at all. There's an actual process that we go through that you should be as systematic about building and driving your culture as you are about your finances, or your sales, or your operations, or any other part of the company. Mm -hmm. It can be that system. You can engineer a culture, and you should. Right. Right. No, definitely. And it sounds like, for example, what we've just talking about, I mean, it, it really can help an organization, you know, increase their bottom line, you know, create, generate more revenue. Bottom line. Well, here, here's, a, here's an interesting thing on that point, David. So I, mm -hmm. I mentioned I do all these um, workshops for typically groups of CEOs. So these are, mm -hmm. you know, the head honchos. And one of the things that I sometimes do is I will ask the CEOs in the room, I'll ask them this question. I'll say, all right, on a one to five scale, in terms of its impact on the bottom line, how would you rate culture? With one being, it doesn't really have that much impact. And five is, no, it is a significant impact on making money. And I go mm -hmm. around the room and I ask everybody, all right, where would you rate it? Almost everybody gives it a five. There's usually a couple of fours and there's always at least one seven or eight on a five point scale. So they get that this is, this isn't fluff. This is bottom line financial impact. Mm -hmm. Then what's interesting is I say to them, all right, I got them all in the room. They've all said it's a five. And I say, all right, so let me ask you this. How many people in this room have some kind of a written documented strategic plan that identifies this year's goals, priorities, initiatives. What do you need to accomplish as a company this year? And you know, most of them do. And I ask them, how many of you have a, a documented sales plan for how you're going to hit your numbers this year? And I got that. And I say, well, I'm sure you all have some kind of a financial plan, a forecast, a budget. I mean, you're not running your company without that. And of course they do. Mm -hmm. And then I ask them, so how many of you have a structured, systematic, documented culture plan for how you're driving your culture. Almost nobody. And then I said, so let me see if I got this right. You just told me this was a five in terms of its impact on the bottom line. Mm -hmm. And you're just winging it. You have no plan for this. I mean, that would be like saying <laughs> that financial plan, eh, who needs that stuff? That's a waste of time. Right. You know, it, and yet most have never thought about it that way. They think of culture as this fluffy thing instead of right. seeing it as a hardcore business operation. No, that makes 
total sense. I mean, everything that you're saying. And honestly, like when you were going through that story, I kind of expected that would be the result that people would not have it because it just seems so weird. Now that being like, it seems so weird as far as, you know, like that much importance, but yet the companies don't have something actually documented. We, we do have a weird phenomenon, I think, though, that is happening right now with a lot of company cultures. And it, it, I, I guess I'd like to get your take on it, if you don't mind. Sure. As far as you're getting a lot of employee, I guess you could say activism type things for political, social causes, stuff like that. And now you're having some companies that are going pushing back against that. Then you have others that are fully embracing it. it. It seems like there's no actual roadmap as far as how should companies be. I mean, how do they handle that type of, you know, uh, that type of culture demand? You know, whether it's coming from the employees for one direction may conflict with their business goals. I mean. What do you say? How important is that? Um, you know, I, I think it really does vary tremendously, David. It's, the, I don't have a point of view that says that should be important or it shouldn't. My right. point of view is if I'm a leader of a company, mm-hmm. I should be intentional and systematic about creating the culture that I want to have for my company. Mm-hmm. There is no right or wrong. It's just being purposeful about it. One company may say, yeah, activism is really important to us. Cool. Go for it. Another company right. may say, that's not important. That's okay, too. It's not a yes or no. It's you should be thoughtful about the culture you want to build, and you should be systematic about doing it instead of hoping it's going to miraculously work out on its own. Right, right, right. And what I'm referring to is I'm thinking, I believe it's Coinbase and uh, you know the cryptocurrency market, as well as uh, Basecamp. The Mm -hmm. software company, you know, they went from, okay, the employees want this social activism stuff to where it's like, no, this is just too much of a distraction. And they've kind of, they do have written culture rules like you were talking about. And that's where they removed that stuff. And they were like, hey, activism itself is, you know, unless it's part of our core business function, you know, like lobbying for something that we need to make our business better, we don't want to, to focus on that. I mean, I, I know, guess, I, how should companies handle it, I guess, with those I, situations? I, yeah, I, I don't mean to be evasive about that. But no, I that's okay. But I don't think there is a how should companies handle that. I think that- You think everything's some, a one-off then? Like it depends well, I, on- I think it depends on what you want. Mm-hmm. So some companies, you know, being part of a social mission is a mm-hmm. really important part of why they exist and who, what they're about. Right. And that's great. And other companies, that's not what we're about. And that's fine too. It's not that you mm-hmm. should be that. You should be what you want to be. And you attract employees who want to play the game that you're playing. If I'm playing right. the game of, I want to be a socially activist kind of company, I'm going to end up attracting people who want that. If mm-hmm. I'm, that's not what I'm about, I'm not going to be attracting those people. So and I agree with you. I, I yeah. agree with you. I, I totally agree. I don't think your answer is evasive at all. And the reason I was dead set on asking about this is because this is something that I've heard from a lot of people that are part of their show. Like, hey, mm-hmm. look, you know, this is the, the situation. And there seems to be a lot around with the uh, the culture issues. I wanted to kind of put you on the spot yeah, there and ask that. I, I, I think my primary point of view is mm-hmm. that, once again, the culture affects almost everything that happens in the company. And therefore, leaders should be purposeful about creating the culture that they want to have instead of leaving it to chance. Right. There is no right culture or wrong culture. There's mm-hmm. What's the culture you want to have that accomplishes your objectives? And you should go about making that happen instead of wishing it happened or hoping it's going to happen. Or and, and so I, mean, I think I think the situation that I'm I'm hearing would be that a lot of leadership exec teams that they're setting out 
for a specific culture, the way that they view it. And maybe it does have some social aspects to it. Maybe it doesn't. I don't know those details. But whatever it is, even if they have some, it might not be enough or it might not be what the employees view. And that's where the employees are demanding that. How much should the leadership balance with what the employees want? So my point of view is this is a leadership function. Leadership. Are, I often say that, that you know, creating and driving a culture is, I call it a design function. If I'm the leader, I should be designing the company that I want, and I'm not designing it. This may sound controversial to some, but mm-hmm. I think it's important. I'm not designing my company around what my employees would like to see. Some of them, right. may, not, may, some of them may not even be here in a few years. So why exactly. would I design it around the employees I happen to have on this date in 2021? I should be designing around my vision of what I'm trying to create, and I'm going to then attract the kind of employees who want to subscribe to my vision. If this is the vision of where we're going, if that doesn't work for you, you probably should work somewhere else. So I'm, right. not, I'm not designing my vision around who we have. I'm bringing in people who want to follow the vision I'm creating. And that's where I think going back to your point of having the written culture plan, almost like a business plan, but around the culture, I assume, you know, is kind of critical to ensure that you do it. Because again, going back to some of the issues that we're seeing, you know, with viewers of this show, for example, is that they may have a certain thing like for example even my company vision 33 it's like hey we do charity stuff like that we're totally apolitical you know we don't want to upset anybody anywhere and we just focus on our own and we build schools out in africa that's our thing (laughs) and uh that you know and i respect i'm fine with that but you know you could get a very you know or some very loud employees that are also talented to where it's ruffling the feathers and then it ultimately comes down to who do you make happy you know the leadership they're driving that or you know what could be the temporary employee like you were saying and i think that is the exact advice that a lot of business owners managers directors you know execs that are listening to the show that is exactly what I think they needed to hear to have that piece of clarity. Yeah, it, it, we're not bending to the will of our people. We are collecting people who want to go down the path that we're going down. If I mm-hmm. want to go to California and some of my employees want to go to Hawaii, want to go to Maine, well, then they're in the wrong company because we're going to California. Right. We're going to attract the people who want to go to California. Mm-hmm. Just, it's, and, and, and neither yeah. is right nor wrong, neither the company or the employee there's just, it's a question of fit. If you're, mm-hmm. if you're an employee working for a company that has a different vision of what you want, you should work somewhere else. You shouldn't right. expect the company to change it for you. Right. And that's where, yeah, fit. That was exactly where I was about to go with my next question. Someone's reading my notes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, so when you have the culture, I think it's critical to be able then to ultimately reach your goals to get to where you want to be with your business uh, by making sure you hire people that will be a fit for not just the role, not just the position, but also the company culture as well too. Somebody that isn't going to be like a disruptor, like a a, a disruptor in a bad way. Because disruption, I think, is good. You know, like COVID. COVID, um, and this is funny because I was talking about this with Soledad O'Brien in our episode to where she was like, I, I hate to say that COVID did something good because it's so evil, it's hard. But what COVID did do that was, was good was it kind of disrupted everything because we were doing so many things as a company, as a society, as a family. You know, you can look at this every level of someone's life that we were doing things just because, just because that's the way it's been, just because the wheel's not broke, so let's not fix it. So disruption, I think, is good, but you want to look for the right type of of disruptor if you bring somebody like that in, not one that's going to totally clash against the values, principles, and goals of the organization. Yeah, I think you're right on, Dave, that 
you need to bring in people. So a couple of things I'd say, first of all, to, to your point, I think you're, you're exactly it, that we need to bring people into our organizations who are a good cultural fit for what we're trying to build. And saying once again, that somebody's a good fit or a bad fit has nothing to do with them being a good person or a right. bad person. They could be a wonderful person. They could be my best friend. And that doesn't make them a fit in my company. So this is about mm -hmm. finding people who are a good fit. Now, having said that, this goes back so much of everything I teach people starts with the clarity of defining what we want our culture to be. How mm -hmm. would I know who's a good fit if I've never defined clearly enough what my culture is supposed to be in the first place? So search if, for him on Instagram. Yeah. I mean, if, if I'm just vague <laughs> and, and, you know, um, nebulous about what my culture is, mm -hmm. I don't know who's a good fit and who's not because I don't even know what it is. So everything starts with being crystal clear about this is exactly the culture we're trying to build. Now I can start to do things to create that. I can bring in people who want to go there. I can eliminate people who don't want to go there, et cetera. You know, that's one, one thing I've got to say is I like your style. I, I like how you're going about this because, you know, a lot of people, for example, with culture and stuff like that, I often view that sometimes they have a preferred way of, oh, this is the culture you need to instill, mm -hmm. you know, and it could be to the agenda that that person prescribes to. And I like your, I guess you could say agenda agnostic approach to mm -hmm. it. Like, hey, I don't care what your goal is. I don't care what you believe, what you don't believe. Okay, uh, that's, but whatever you do believe in, and whatever you want to achieve, that's what we're going to build the culture about. It's all about them. And, you know, I think, uh, and the permanent employees or permanent leadership of the company that actually, you know, it's their heads on the chopping block if this goes downhill, you know, it's their, you know, it's their livelihoods, especially if they've invested, you know, missed time with family, you know, money, all everything that they have into an organization. Um, I think those people with the vested interests are the ones who end up reaping the most benefit from it if it does work. And culture definitely sounds like it's a it's a big driver to get it going forward. So my question for you is when should a company start to formalize things like company corporate culture? Uh, yesterday. <laughs> yesterday? Yes, is when they should have. So, you know, there, there's an old um, sort of proverb or whatever it is that says that, you know, when is the best time to, uh, you know, to plant a tree 100 years ago? When's the next best <laughs> time today? And I would say the same about culture, that when's the best time? You should have been doing it years ago. The next best time mm -hmm. is today. Um, it's like there's as soon as you can. Again, I would say that if I'm a leader of a company and I'm trying to build a great organization, assuming mm -hmm. I want to, when I think about all the various levers I could pull, the various things, tools that are available in my toolkit to improve my company, I don't think there's a single tool in the toolkit that has more impact on more elements of the company than the culture, because the culture affects your ability to attract the best people, your ability to mm -hmm. retain the best people. It affects the kind of service they deliver to customers. It affects the pride they take in the quality of their work. It affects the profitability of the company. It affects how innovative they are. It affects how well they work together as teammates. It affects just oh, yeah. every part of the company. So if I'm a leader and I'm thinking, well, what could I do to work on my company's success? There's probably no other thing that impacts more parts of the company than the culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I totally agree. I mean, I, that's one thing I love about Vision 33 is that the corporate culture that we have from the top down, I mean, it's, it's great. I love it. And then because I am, you know, the, the leader that leads, you know, about 25-ish employees that I have between my Northeast region for Business One and the Sage Intact East Coast team, 
you know, I, I also, I guess you could say it's micro culture that I have within my team because we all closely work together. We don't necessarily work with other people outside of our company. So it's almost mm-hmm. like you have uh, the main corporate culture that we prescribe to and then our subset for our regional culture, but they all go hand in hand, work mm-hmm. together, and it allows my team to really thrive together. So I think this last question I want to ask you here, David, is going to be a lot of people are working from home. Mm-hmm. We're working remotely. Um, you know, companies now are hiring people remotely, except in Colorado. Uh, I just saw an article on that today because uh, they have some kind of uh, requirement. So if you look, uh, you'll see a lot of job postings now everywhere outside of Colorado. They're hiring remotely. But, uh, uh, you know, with that and, and the culture and all that stuff, I'm lucky we have a remote team. We've always had a remote team. I've always been remote. So it's been easy for us. But how can other people that this is new for you know, what tips do you have for effectively managing their culture with having the remote team? Yeah, that's a good question, David. What I would say, so first thing I would say is I'm going to describe for you briefly a pattern that companies go through as they grow. And I'll tie that back to your question about the Mm -hmm. people working remotely. So when a company is small, and I'm going to say, you know, three, five, eight, 10 people, a company can get away with not being so intentional about their culture. It would be better if they were, but they could get away without it because the leader is there and everybody sees him or her and your example's enough. But as the company grows and it goes from five or 10 people to 20 or 50 or 100 or 500, and they have multiple locations, all of a sudden people aren't seeing the leader anymore and they can't rely on the physical proximity to the leader to be enough. Well, Mm -hmm. the pandemic created that same dynamic for everybody, whether you were small, medium, or large. So if the only way people knew the culture before was because they were together physically and they saw each other and they picked up the vibe, well, then when they're working remotely, that vibe is gone because they're not seeing each other anymore. And so it becomes more important than ever for there to be other ways not relying on just being physically together to drive the culture. Can can I make one comment there before you get into your other ways? I've read a lot of articles because, you know, the great discussions happening right now on, you know, the nine to five workday. That's a topic that we talk about a lot here, just being obsolete now with Mm -hmm. the work in remote, the working from home, stuff like that. And that is exactly one of the reasons that I see, oh, you know, the building relationships, company culture, it's hard. I I mean, I have over about six years working for Vision 33. I've been remote. I've excelled. I got one of the very few, in fact, the only sales rep that has been promoted from a sales rep to uh, their general manager to run a whole region uh, making that jump. And even with my team, they've always been remote, but we instill the corporate culture into them and my regional culture into them you know we have video calls all the time we're always in meetings together we're still i mean i think the only difference it's like we're still working together just Mm -hmm. that it's digitally just not in the same office and i i don't know maybe i'm just blind because we've been doing it right this whole time at vision 33 and or other organizations don't do it like we do it and that's why they're having trouble uh can you maybe open my eyes a little bit yeah i I mean i think you're largely correct from my perspective and it's interesting i mean you make the point that you've been doing it for a while i've been doing it in my company for a while as well my current Mm -hmm. former company was a brick and mortar this company is all virtual and and we forget that there have been companies that have been working virtually for the last 5, 10, 15, 20 years. This is right. not new to everybody. Everybody no, acts as if 
oh my God, what are we going to do? Well, we've been doing this forever. This isn't anything different. So remember like 10 years ago, 10 years ago, for example, uh, it, it was like the big discussion as far as with tech companies and startups, like the working from home perk, like a couple of days a week. I remember, I think Yahoo was like one of the big ones at the time where they kept going back and forth saying, yes, you can work from home. No, you can't work from home. Yes, you can again after employees revolted. And it's like this has been around for a long time because internet has made that possible. Yes. I think it comes down to whether or not your company digitally transformed and has done, done things in a way that embraces a digital corporate culture. Well, and, and I think you're right. Now, to be fair to your listeners, yes. that does, that's not applicable for every company. If I'm a manufacturing right. company and I got a plant, well, we're not doing that virtually. We got to be in. The- I'm just going to send in robots that are just producing yeah, yeah. my my parts for me. Yes. <laughs> no, so, I mean, there are things. There are some situations that lend themselves more easily. If you're a right. kind of worker working at a computer all day, you can work business professionals. Computer. Yeah. Exactly. You can do that anywhere. But if you're yeah. in something where you're, you're it's hands on, physical, you're a landscaping company. You're not doing that virtual. You better be right. out, out working on the property. So it does exactly. vary with the industry. But I think yeah. that I would say that two points I would make. One is that we've been doing this for years. So this is nothing new. And in fact, it's easier now than it's ever been because we've gotten so much more comfortable with the video aspect of this, which didn't used to exist. So it's actually made right. it easier than it's ever been. I'd say- so- yeah. On that comment, I just wanted to say, like, the video aspect of it is true, because even though we've always been remote, so because of the fact that my team was all remote all the time, we only get to see each other if we, like, say I'm traveling to Boston, yeah, I'm going to go out for lunch or dinner or breakfast with my Boston uh, team members, you know, but um, unless we're doing a get-together, we've always been remote, and that's where we've always instilled in our region, like, hey, camera's on. Uh when we're talking to our team members, you know, uh, if I'm talking to the my director, Melissa, that works below me, you know, it's like, yeah, we got to get her. I, I want to see your facial reactions. I want to understand you. I want to know when I'm giving you the warm and fuzzies and when I'm making you cringe. Uh, you know, I, I want to get just as if I was in person. Yeah. And, you know, we've always did that. But externally or with other regions, we weren't doing it as much and what i've noticed is and and in fact most customers if we jumped on a microsoft teams call or a zoom call with them uh they didn't have their camera on they barely understood how to dial in you know they would do it but it it would be almost like pulling teeth Mm -hmm. every now and then now through the pandemic and going back to like i was saying with with soledad o'brien what we discussed is that this pushed us I think it pushed us into the deep end to where people accept it, they're used to it, and they understand it now. And I think that's one of the big difference makers because if you're working remote, you need to have the camera on. You need to have the FaceTime, the screen time, so that you can, you know, see the facial reactions. So that way, uh, because if I'm just talking verbally, I could be like, "Uh uh uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. You know, just totally zoned out, bored, not into it, or not caring what they're saying. How right. do you do that if you're face to face? Yeah, I think you're right. Now, having said that, I'll just add one qualifier yeah. to that. And that is, again, all of this requires, I think, a great deal of flexibility. That's yes. easy for me to be on camera. I'm an empty nester. I have a great office in my home. This is simple. I look at, you know, if you've got little kids, and you're in your small apartment and they're trying to work and you got the dog going by and everything else. Well, it's not so easy to. Yeah, it's hard. So, yeah, there's always exceptions. Yes, there are. And so I think I think we have to say just if I use the example that you've given of Mm -hmm. being on camera, when I'm doing a Zoom call with a bunch of people, I say to them, if at all possible, it would be best if you could be on camera so we can see each other and we can you know, bond better and more significantly. But phrasing it as, if at all possible, I understand it's not possible, possible. for everybody. Yep. But if you can, it would be much preferred if we can do that. So just having a, a, a general stance of flexibility 
while still stating your preference, I think is a helpful way to approach it. Now, that, that's another thing, though, too. I mean, first off, it, it's always uh, whenever you get in a Zoom call now or a Teams call or whatever, uh, the person doesn't have their camera on. You're kind of like, hmm, I wonder what's going yeah. on with that. It, it yeah. does seem a little weird, right? <laughs> but but that's a thing, though. I mean, we all understand, like, a lot of people are working from home. You know, there could be kids, animals, elderly yeah. parents, whatever it may be. There could be other stuff going on. And I think people are more understanding of all of that right now as well, too. And I think, again, that's just how we've evolved as a society, you know, or my case with Vision as a company. And I, I think we're, you know, I think we're headed towards the right way to where all these fears that all these people have that are writing the articles on how bad it's going to be with work from home if it's pre I don't get why so many people mm. with such loud mouths are so scared of it. I'm, I'm with you on that. So, hey, David, uh, this has been amazing. Thank you for coming on. Totally my pleasure. How, how can people reach out to you, find your books, tell us about yeah. all the good stuff? Yeah, so best way to reach me is my website is culturewise, the word culture, and then W-I-S-E, culturewise.com. Email is david at culturewise.com. On my website, there are lots of videos, simple explanations. Everything we do, we make simple. So really easy videos and, and explanations to understand how to go about doing this. My books are on Amazon and also on Audible. So uh, Fundamentally Different and Culture by Design is the latest book. And they're both, uh, again, on paperback, hardcover, ebook, and also they're on Audible. And I do the Audible versions, the narrations. Uh. So That's awesome. Thank you. Well. Thank you for that. I love Audible. There, I tell you what, there is nothing like if you're getting a book from somebody's voice that you know, you know, yes. I'll use Steven Tyler, for example, because I, I idolize Steven Tyler. You know, you get his Audible book. I know his voice and it's like his life story. Read yeah. through someone else's mouth, it, it's creepy to me. That's how, that's how I would feel. If somebody was doing my material, that would just sound weird to me. It needs, it's my material. I, who could do yeah. it like me? Whenever I have a book that is, you know, read by the author themselves, that's where 100% that's the book I'm getting on Audible first before one that's read by a paid actor or, or voice actor. That, that, the, uh, the other piece of that is some authors stink. <laughs> some aren't very yeah. good verbally. So they're yeah. not. But mine are good. Yeah, yeah. Mine are yeah. good. No, I, yours are good. You got a wonderful voice. Oh, thanks. <laughs> hey, thank you again, David. This has been awesome. It's been a pleasure. It's been very insightful. I think you gave everybody out there some awesome food for thought. Make sure you grab David's book and check him out online. Wow, such a wonderful chat with David, right? First, you all know the routine if you found this interview helpful. If it sparked those warm and fuzzies, do me a favor, hit that like button, smash that subscribe button. But if you really want to help us out, share it out to your network. Plain and simple, help your friends discover the best kept secret in all of business growth, okay? We have two episodes a week. Everybody, just like we had David today, it's going to help your friends grow personally, grow professionally, and most importantly, grow their business. Share this out. I'd love to see nothing more than David Friedman and Shark Bite Biz out there trending. So now let's get back to our full of culture guest, David, because he had some awesome, awesome, awesome points. Really good discussion I had with him. Yes, I did push a little bit into the corner uh you know as far as pushing him for a few questions i get asked all the time from our viewers plus i see questions about this type of stuff everywhere and that is activism in the workplace i mean you have a couple of big companies Basecamp, coinbase things like that that have really pushed back against activism in the workplace when it is not directly related to the organizational goals. David's answer was exactly what I believe. If you're a social enterprise, okay, if you're one of those types of businesses, then yes, <clears throat> you can take up all those pet causes your employees are pushing for. Go for it. However, 
If you aren't, you need to make sure that the people you hire aren't going to disrupt your culture and put your business in an awkward position. Ultimately, employees, and this may sound harsh, but it is a real reality, they are temporary employees of the business. They could be there for six months, they could be there for six years, but ultimately, they are not the permanent leadership of that organization. And if they're a cultural misfit, then they need to go or it could really disrupt your business. Do not allow your employees to hijack your business that way. Again, though, <clears throat> your business may be in line with those goals and those types of efforts. And if you are, then you accept it and you recruit people like that. Uh, because those type of people then would be assets for your teams. You see, it kind of works both ways. It just really depends what kind of business are you. Personally, I think the line is, is that you don't want a distraction on your hand unless that what some businesses would call a distraction to other businesses that employee is an asset. So you have to decide what is your corporate culture and your organizational goals. You know, another thing that David brought up, uh, you had many points about having a written corporate culture plan as well. And that is critical for long-term success. If you really think about it, because by having that written plan, you're allowing your team to know what is expected of them, and you're setting the ground rules for what is acceptable. Companies that have written cultural plans, just like, you know, you go through and you have your business plan, you have your yearly, yearly KPIs, all that stuff. You know, if you have that written corporate culture plan, you're going to have a much higher level of success. You're going to have less turnover. And I think most importantly, you're going to have more happier employees. So question of the day, do you have a written corporate culture in your business? Leave a comment down below on YouTube. Please do not forget to grab David's book. We'll have the link below. It is Culture by Design. It's a great read. Thank you so much, David, for coming on. Thank you for sending me the book. Do you want to be on the show? If so, send out an email, interviews at sharkbitebiz.com. Please do not forget to join the channel. It is $3 a month. You can become a baby shark or head on over to deadhousecoffee.com. Use code SHARK. Save 20% on your purchase and really just help us grow this channel. That's all we need. So, hey, I'm David Strausser. This is Shark Bite Biz. We'll see you all next episode. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Shark Bite Biz. We hope you got some insightful info from this podcast. Be sure to subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app and visit us on the web at www.sharkbitebiz.com. How has business changed for you in the 20s? Email us at podcast at sharkbitebiz.com so you can join us and share your story.